How about it? A Sixers opening night win is in the books, and it was an enjoyable one to watch. The Sixers coming together with some great team chemistry. So glad you could join us here in the Sixers Talk podcast brought to you by Wilmington University. Wilmu Works, our guy Noah Levick, the Sixers writer for NBC Sports Philadelphia.com here joining us. Ben Barry, our producer in the wings for this podcast. And Noah, um, it started out really well. The second quarter was a little choppy, but the third and fourth quarters was what the, the Formula Sixers fans have been waiting for is Joel Embiid sat the fourth quarter and they got, you know, four, four guys and in, in 20 points uh, or more. And uh, the Sixers get a W against the New Orleans Pelicans. Did you did you like what you saw? Absolutely. Yeah, I think just first off, you got to say. To be frank, it, it was nice to focus on a basketball game for a night. And we have to acknowledge Ben Simmons wasn't there. He's suspended for conduct detrimental to the team, but it felt oddly normal. And like the Sixers were just competing and doing their thing. And of course, as I think we probably all expected, Joel Embiid set a really strong tone, 10 points in the first five minutes. And then Furkan Korkmaz, uh, when he's got his got his game, he's a uh, he's a very fun basketball player. He's capable of these game changing spurts. Puts up 18 in the fourth, four threes. Mm. Can't miss. Is chucking up heat checks and they're going down and a uh, lot of lot of fun stuff uh, in the Bayou for the Sixers. So yeah, couldn't have asked for for a much better start to the season. As you said. Um, some shakiness as you'd expect given they're integrating new pieces. Uh, but the second unit was very impressive, not just Korkmaz, uh, 45 to 17 edge for the Sixers bench. Uh, both George Niang and Andre Drummond, I think, were as advertised. Niang knocking down threes uh, and Drummond just gobbling up rebounds. 17, 17 rebounds in like 19 minutes. Um, so he's always been able to do that well, but uh, this was vintage Drummond in that aspect of just anything in his remote vicinity, uh, he was going to grab it. So a lot of positives on, on night one for the Sixers. Yeah. Fantastic. And like you said, man, just happy to focus on basketball and we need to just really give credit to the players because sometimes it's hard to determine, you know, what is you no know, quote unquote coach speak or just, you know, lip service coming from the players, but they have said continually from Joel Embiid all the way down the, the ladder that we, we have good chemistry. You know, we're playing well. This team is coming together, uh, even with all the Ben Simmons distractions and, you know, people inundating them with questions regarding that. They had steadfastly stuck to the line that, you know, we're playing well. There's good basketball going on here. And they follow that up by reportedly. Uh, as we found out after the game, having this uh, team meal down in New Orleans before, you know, uh, getting to this game. And, it, you know, New Orleans is a great place to have a team meal, you know, if you're going to, you know, come together as a squad. But um, it, you're just seeing the maturity from this team. Joel saying afterward, that's something that he never, you know, did in the past. He was always a guy who stuck to his room, you know, on the road and, you know, played video games and whatnot. But uh, this team meal, you know, getting to know each other and the chemistry was evident on the court. We saw the extra passes. We saw um, unselfishness. We saw some shot making. And, uh, you know, another kudos has to be given to the Sixers front office who helped assemble this team. You know, they pick George Niang off of, uh, you know, Utah's, uh, you know, he, he did resign with them and signed a two year deal here. 
Um, you, you see Andre Drummond, like you mentioned, fourth in rebounding last year here, bringing 17 rebounds to opening night. Joel Embiid sits the whole fourth quarter. It was a great formula here uh, for the Sixers to get back in the win column. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Corkmans is yet to hit a three tonight, and there it is. Furkan rattling home the triple. Let's see if the second unit can do what Mark and the coach just talked about. Back-to-back threes for Furkan Korkmaz. Drummond, the screen, and Korkmaz has another. Heat check for Furkan. Three triples this quarter. Here comes Ingram, and well done by Thibel to track back and steal it back. Korkmaz, Korkmaz, make it four in the fourth. For the Turkish superstar, Furkan Korkmaz. Is it getting hot in here, or is it just fur? <laughs> the Korkmaz stuff, though, since you brought it up, had to surprise you a little bit that he just catches fire. And you could tell he was feeling it because he was hunting those threes. Um, that, that's got to be an X factor, you know, that really, you know, you're looking for, you know, backcourt help and, you know, the absence of Simmons, the absence of Shake Milton. Um that, that's a great harbinger of, of what's to come going into this Brooklyn game where you think they're going to need the, some more firepower. Yeah, it's nothing new for Quirkmaz. This has always been uh, something that he's brought to the table where he can just get extremely hot, and he's not going to leave the game wondering if that hot streak would have been sustained. He's, he's going <laughs> to right. um, I think what was a little bit unique last night and of course we saw it from him as well in the preseason is he's running second unit point guard and looking pretty comfortable in that role I think the first few minutes were a bit shaky and I just think overall that bench unit at times was a little bit too unselfish and didn't seem totally in sync but for the most part Korkmaz uh, looked comfortable with the ball in his hands and facilitated offense well and was aggressive and put pressure on the New Orleans defense uh, it was it was funny. I was thinking like, who does Korkmaz remind me of at point guard? And not a hundred percent, but at least in terms of the frame and the flair, there's there's a little bit of Lamelo Ball there. Uh, tall ball yes. handler. You see it? Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Well, Lamelo was nuts. I think he had seven threes last night. So mm-hmm. Cork needs to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, Lamelo a little more talented as a passer and a little more of a pure point guard. Um, but just that kind of guy where when he's in the groove, uh, yeah. your eyes are drawn to him and he has fun playing the game of basketball and has some, some creativity and flair um, that, that, he, that he likes to show. So, uh, yeah, encouraging from Korkmaz, I, I think just inevitably we're, we're probably due for a cold game here or there, but uh, the Sixers will ride the hot hand for as long as it lasts. We'll try to separate, uh, compartmentalize uh, things here, but I think it's good starting here with the kind of Joel Embiid 
uh, Furcon Korkmaz conversation, the two leading scorers here at 22 points for the team. Uh, we'll delve into Maxi and give some kudos to Tobias Harris, Mr. Steady as she goes in a little bit. But um, it, it's funny because I forgot who made the pass, but Korkmaz filling the lane in transition, tries to catch a body under the rim, um, ends up getting fouled. It, it was just one of those nights for the Sixers and Korkmaz specifically. And, you know, you mentioned his 18 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, it, it, it was, a you know, the third quarter, the Sixers pulled away and it was, you know, a little bit of back and forth there, but I was just really surprised by the way they pulled away in the end. I thought that the, obviously they were the better team, but to secure the 20 point victory and to move into, you know, Thursday with a day off with no practice and then into Friday's game, it just was, you know, uh, Joel and B, like I mentioned, sitting in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter with Tobias, it, it just was the, the perfect way to end that game and to have that second unit kind of come together after that shakiness, you know, in the, the second second period. Um, and and let, let's talk about that second unit a little bit more because um, they were the ones that helped, you know, give Joel a spell um, when it looked like he had tweaked the, his knee a little bit or, or something had happened there and he wasn't, you know, kind of, he was kind of off his, um, off balance a little bit or, or something happened. I mean, offensively, he still was scoring a basketball with 12 in the first quarter, but the give the second unit props because he needed a spell. Andre Drummond came in and that second unit provided that and kind of, you know, it was, it was tied at the half. So, it wasn't perfect, but it, it was what the team needed at the right time. And in the end, they were also able to deliver. Yeah, with Embiid, I don't, I don't know if, given his history, you can even classify that as an injury scare. But that was definitely a sign that Sixers basketball was back. And there was you know, maybe a little bit of fans <laughs> holding their breath when you see him. Get right. Injured. Fans holding their breath at Sixers basketball yeah. go hand in hand. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, out, outside of that, he looked very right. good physically, I thought. Uh, he's he's clearly in good physical shape. Clearly, does not seem bogged down by the the meniscus tear from last. No, post. they came out of the locker room. Him and Brandon Ingram going jumper for jumper, bro. Mm-hmm. Jumper for jumper. Yeah, that was um, that was auspicious when it when Embiid banked the first one in, and then you saw the the slow mo pump fake was effective because New Orleans uh, was respecting respecting Embiid's three balls. So. Uh, yeah, liked what I saw from him from the jump. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a little scratchy initially for, for the second unit, uh, but I think we saw a lot of why Doc Rivers was raving about that group during training camp. Uh, though there is not a conventional point guard uh, with Shake Milton out because of this, this right ankle sprain, uh, it's just a lot of players who enjoy sharing the ball, like to cut, like to move. Uh, it, it was kind of what we've seen from the preseason from Andre Drummond, where he's very enthusiastic about passing and he's skilled and has good vision. A couple of ill-advised tosses. I think there was one where he like, grabbed an offensive rebound and for some reason immediately tried a behind-the-back pass. So uh, you'd like to see him. Oh, out of, to the three-point line. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. kind of – I'm not sure exactly what he intended there, but uh, the bottom line is, you know, overall on that unit, you have players who like to share the ball. Uh, who seem to have developed some good early chemistry. Uh, so you like, you like to see all of that. Uh, and yeah, you can't, can't do much better than, than scoring the first 14 bench points of the game. I mean, that, that's a real strong, strong opening night sort of statement. 
yeah, the Sixers bench really came through um, drubbing the New Orleans bench um, uh, and points off the bench. Um, curious, though, sticking with Embiid, um, too many jump shots for you. He had talked about, you know, in uh, training camp that he was going to shoot more threes probably and that the team themselves were going to shoot more threes. Um, like I said, at, at the start of that third quarter, it was him and Brandon Ingram just going jumper for jumper on each end. You mix in the couple of threes that he hit. Not, not a whole lot of layups, not a whole lot of high percentage shots for him. Uh, the jumper was clicking, though, and he really just looked like he picked up where he left off last season with the MVP form. But um, would you like to see him, you know, more dominant in the interior, or are you okay with the amount of 15-footers and threes? Yeah, I'm not going to nitpick uh, on the mid-range game, especially just because he was so incredibly efficient at that last season and was one of the main reasons I think he was the MVP runner-up. Uh, so it's. So I don't think he had a dunk. Did he even have a dunk last night? I can't remember one, no. Uh, right. Yeah, a few driving laps, but no dunks. Um, I do think when the jumper's not falling for him, we know it's it's very reliable to just invite contact and wear out, you know, the path to that foul line. Um, so, yeah, if you're, if you're going to criticize, I guess maybe you can say in that second quarter when the mid-range isn't falling, uh, he could he could try to draw contact a little more. But for the most part, I think you've got to trust Joel Embiid's decision-making, uh, and you've got to trust that he's evolved into this elite mid-range jump shooter. Perhaps he wow. Wow, isn't, wow, wow. isn't going to sustain that uh, to the extent he did last season, but it's not a fluke at this point. Like, he is a very good uh, mid-range shooter. He's, for a center, an above-average three-point shooter, and uh, fair enough that the jump shot is, is a major part of his game. So um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how I see it from Embiid. Uh, I do think um, it was notable. Doc Rivers mentioned to uh, reporters afterwards in new Orleans that he didn't love the post spacing around Embiid. And I think mm -hmm. it's predictable that that's going to be an adjustment. Ben Simmons, obviously the default spot for him was the dunker spot. And, now you have guys like Danny Green and Tyrese Maxey who are standing there and are not necessarily comfortable with being anywhere besides outside of the arc when their center has the ball. Um, so the, the spacing wasn't always perfect last night and um, it's going to be an adjustment to figure out like where to stand and how to move around and beat in the post. Uh, and perhaps over time that improves a little bit and that makes life a little bit easier for him down there. Yeah, I didn't think, um the spacing was correct on a lot of the double teams because he didn't have an easier outlet on some of those, but definitely something in Embiid's game that has evolved and changed and gotten better. And I'm sure, like you said, they'll figure that out as things go along because the lack of Simmons um, doesn't drag a defender, you know, down there below the rim where these other guys are on the outside. But um, to a point you just made, and we don't have to belabor it, but, MB becoming an elite uh, mid-range jump shooter. Um, his game has evolved and changed and grown in the years that he's been in the NBA. And you look at the Ben Simmons situation and so much of the issue is people are asking for that same thing from Simmons, but he's not willing to, to do that. So I just want to make that example of just what the commitment is to being better at basketball from a player like of Embiid's status and how that has 
propelled him into this MVP conversation and this elite level of shot making and being an NBA star where you're not getting that development, you know, and that growth, you know, from Benson. And you see in other players as well, Tyrese Maxey, which we'll get into, um, Tobias Harris as well, the growth and the, the, the transition they've made from where they started to where they are is now as NBA players. And that, that's what you're looking for from Ben Simmons, but the payoff just isn't there and it hasn't been um, in, the, in the growth um, in his game. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah you, fair, you feel me on that? Yeah, yeah no, it's a fair, a fair parallel. It, it has always stood out to me with Embiid. You know, he gets back from an offseason or even he's looking at the offseason ahead and he's genuinely excited. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to work with my guy, Drew Hanlon, and we're going to add this new tool to my right. game. It's going to make it impossible for guys to double team me or, or going to just add this, this new weapon that defenses aren't able to cope with. Uh, I, I believe it was a, a season or two ago, he added that um, the, the fadeaway, he really worked on incorporating that to his game. And, and you saw defenders, uh, really struggled to guard that. And you can just see it's something Embiid savers, like, okay, I have this weakness or I have this area that defense is going to attack. Um, and they're not going to be able to do that anymore once I put in the time um, to, to address that. So yeah, absolutely. He deserves praise for it. And yeah, fair enough to say that um, Ben Simmons has not evolved in a, in a comparable way. And I think um, it's just worth mentioning just how average Joel can make opposing centers look like Jonas Valanciunas, you know, he got the new contract before the game. Um, he's, uh, you know, what was he third in the league in rebounding last year, but for some reason he's out there missing bunnies, just not looking comfortable, you know, with Joel out there and uh, you know, the Sixers helped use that to propel them to victory. But I think he was like three for 20 from the floor was Valanciunas just, is is just looking bad out there. So, you know, credit to Joel for also being involved in that as well. Yeah. I mean, something that, that did come to mind last night in part because Valanciunas shot three for 19 and couldn't buy anything around the rim. Is, three for 19. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, assuming the Sixers are moving forward here without Ben Simmons, there's a real opportunity for Embiid to highlight his defensive value. Uh, so, of course, you know, in those individual matchups, he tends to get the better of the opposing center. But I think we also saw last night, he's probably going to have to do a bit more as a rim protector. And we saw that he mixed it up in pick and roll coverage. He did hedge some, he did blitz some, uh, you know, the default was still the, the drop coverage, but uh, he showed off some of that versatility and the exceptional movement for a seven foot, 280 pound guy uh and i think you know if the sixers are a ben simmons list team uh for the duration of this season a lot of folks are going to be more aware of just how immense an impact uh, joel Embiid has defensively ready to make a move a wilmington university education can take you where you want to go will you works online or in person learn more at willmu.edu BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A lot to like after that Sixers victory. And you, you really, we had to try to navigate not talking about these guys in that first segment and Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. Um, I don't know which of those guys you want to start with. I think it's uh, probably doing a disservice to Tobias not to acknowledge how rock solid he is and how much he brings a steadying force to this team. Um, Off the court, he has been, as players have mentioned, the guy that has helped keep this team galvanized along with Joel Embiid through leadership. And I'm sure that team dinner was part of his um, uh, doing as well. Uh, because, you know, we heard about him in the bubble and how much, you know, he was a part of those group texts and bringing people together after the pandemic. He just really leads by example, as I just mentioned, off the court and on the court last night, um, you know, trying to really probably pick up with that 50-40-90 pace he was on last season. And just uh, besides missing two three-pointers, he was right there at it, four for five, the free throw line, 20 points, a super efficient night from the floor. and it, it seemed like he was letting the game come to him and not really forcing it. And he got a, a steal and a layup and, and on he went from there. Yeah, I feel like when Tobias Harris plays well, which is most of the, the games nowadays, that there's usually not much, you know, convoluted analysis that's necessary. Uh, he's decisive. Uh, he scores pretty efficiently. Uh, and he just kind of plays his game. And I think steady is the, the perfect word. Uh, he's really reliable for the Sixers, which uh, given all the uncertainty and chaos around these teams, as you said, is, is important on and off the court. Uh, so yeah, credit, credit to him for sort of picking up where he left off, at least in the regular season last year. And I think the reality is for both him and this team, a lot of how they'll be judged is the postseason. Uh, and, you know, that that will be a major test for him uh, many months down the line. But, uh, yeah, for now, encouraging start. Uh, nice, too, given that he was sidelined for a bit with this right with knee. The bank. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and the right knee was an issue last season as well. So I think perhaps you, you did wonder whether he would be at all compromised physically, but uh, that absolutely not was not the case. I think he looked uh, as explosive as he usually does. Uh, and the Sixers did a good job of finding mismatches for him in the post. Uh, and he, you know, he was, he was Tobias Harris. So that's the bottom line. Yeah. And it's just from watching the other shot makers out there, it felt a bit like they weren't as dependent on Tobias hitting three pointers as they had been in the past, where at times he might've been one of the only guys on the floor particularly when he was uh, running with the second unit last season that was making threes at a clip that you could be 
you know, expectant of it. And here, you know, last night, George Yang obviously hitting Furkan, uh, Seth Curry. It, it was it was a lot of uh, Joel Embiid. It was a lot of guys, you know, alleviating some of that load. Not that it was a huge burden for him, but it was definitely a point where I feel like I really looked at Tobias to be the scoring on the floor at times. And I didn't feel that way when his shot from outside wasn't. Uh, going down that he it, it was I didn't feel as desperate or, or or desperate for the team so to speak um did, did you notice any of that did you feel like that the team as a whole kind of really contributed to the shooting success from the outside and he didn't have to you know carry as much of that weight yeah they, they still didn't put up a ton of threes I believe it was only 25 yeah. on the night but as you said multiple which dots. is below their average from last season right yeah even below last season where they were a bottom five team in three-point frequency but uh, yeah multiple guys can shoot it well I think you're gonna make like 13 to 15 of them well you'll take that yeah that works yeah. and yeah right. just, just a lot of shooting threats on the floor that right. defenses have to respect uh Doc Rivers did ride with that all bench unit for quite a while I think yeah we see it's a priority for him to develop uh, a, a good level of continuity there and to kind of get that group gelling together. Uh, I, I am curious whether Harris will at times be like the lone starter on the floor with the bench, as was often the mm -hmm. case last season. I think the plans were maybe thrown out of whack a little last night because Danny Green got in foul trouble. So that meant extended minutes for Matisse Thibel. They needed him on the floor, obviously, to guard Brandon Ingram. So Thibel was important there picked up just a casual four steals and a block no big deal for him uh, yeah. but yeah I think Tobias Harris you'd imagine there will be situations again where he's on the floor with three or four bench players and he's got a score and there's a lot of pressure on him to make something happen in isolation but it's encouraging that that wasn't the case on opening night and as you said it didn't feel like he had a massive burden on him and the Sixers were a very well-balanced offensive team. I think still a bit under the radar in my estimation for what he has contributed and brought to this squad. Um, after, you know, the, the bumpy road, after signing the contract and people, you know, so many naysayers popping up and then, you know, really coming. I'm sure he really wants to make that all-star team this year after being snubbed last year. So I know that's probably a mid-season goal for him, but uh, I think a, a lot of props need to be uh, handed his way. But sharing some of those props for the Sixers' success has to be Tyrese Maxey. I mean, he goes 8 of 14 from the floor. He has 20 points as well. And he overcomes came some obstacles, some poor first half shooting, um, and some tougher, you know, uh, decisions that didn't go his way. But he comes out on the high side of it. And like he said after the game, you know, we won. So, you know, the numbers and all of that stuff really are – I'm kind of – kind of go over my head. He – to paraphrase um so he was just focused on winning which is what you want to hear from you know your point guard or, or any player for that matter uh, what did you see from Tyrese that you liked and uh, where did you see the growth in him from last year to this year in, in this game in particular yeah I liked that from the start of the game you didn't get the vibe of oh wow Tyrese is the starting point guard and this means there are these massive uh, unfamiliar responsibilities on his plate. And I think uh, credit there goes both to Doc Rivers and to the Sixers star players for uh, 
being focal points of the offense and therefore Maxi actually not handling the ball is that much. So I think a lot ran through Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris in the post. I think the team as a whole did a nice job of, of playing in transition and not needing a ton of half court possessions. Uh, we saw a lot of like Seth Curry Iverson cuts and the Sixers kind of beginning beginning trips with those Curry uh, Embiid side pick and rolls. So I think that was all helpful in, in Maxi just having the ability to sort of ease into the action. Uh, and then I think Maxi also deserves a ton of credit for uh, just being really sharp and playing his game uh, and picking his spots effectively. Uh, so we know he's got that dynamic scoring ability and he's got that burst to the rim. Uh, of course, him knocking down a couple three balls is is always, uh, you know, a feather in, in his cap and, and something yes. that makes you optimistic about the future. Uh, but for last night, for me, I think just playing off the star talent, uh, not holding the ball that much and uh, just making the most of when he did have a good matchup or when he did have a head of scheme. Um, so yeah, you can't do much better for him uh, than 20 points, seven rebounds, five assists, I believe only one turnover. turnover. Uh, and yeah, just whatever's thrown his way, he's just extraordinary in, in his ability to adjust to it and look like it's uh, well within his capacity to, to handle. So, uh, well, yeah, well done by Tyrese. Hey, man, um, you know, uh, it, it has been a long time since the Sixers have hit so well in the draft with Bible and Maxi and back-to-back drafts. Uh, you would hate and see why the Sixers have coveted Tyrese Maxi, and you would hate to see that him be the thing that would have to be a kicker in a trade with Ben Simmons or something like that, because you can see the development and how far he's coming along here uh, with this team. Um, Maxi, great job uh, filling in. And, and he's been running with the first team all during training camp because of Ben Simmons absence. Um, a guy who had an incredible preseason, um, but didn't have a great opening night is Isaiah Joe. I wanted to talk about him a bit. Um, he had a tough time, you know, getting the ball up the floor at one point and got subbed out. He ended up with zero points, didn't connect on any of his shots. Um, Danny Green got into foul trouble, and I think that really re- re- what, what was what resulted in his donut. Isaiah Joe, it seemed, had a, a bit of a short leash. Um, did, did you think that you would see more from him considering 15, 18, 20 points in the preseason um, I forget what he had in the last game, but did, did you did you feel like you would see more of him and were you surprised that he didn't rise to the occasion? No, yeah, not gonna not going to read too much into it. I think, yeah, on a night where the Sixers had four guys score 20 plus points, like everyone can't do that. That's not not everyone's right. gonna, going to shoot the ball that well. Uh, I think as far as what would be like a more valid longer term concern with him is, as you alluded to, kind of dealing with the ball pressure. And even though he did put on muscle this offseason, like he's on, he's undersized, you know, he's, I believe, six foot three, and uh, he, do, he doesn't weigh well, weigh a lot. Uh, he, he's gonna be out muscled uh, by most uh, opponents that, that he goes up against uh, in this his second year. So uh, dealing with the ball pressure, yeah, I'm curious how he's going to handle that moving forward. But 
I would really like Doc Rivers uh, to continue giving giving him minutes and see what he's got. I, I think he was the best player for the Sixers, just point blank, in the pre, in the preseason. And one uneven regular season performance isn't going to entirely dis, dissuade me um, that this this is a player who has some intriguing qualities on both ends of the floor. Uh, I think the defensive effort and, and commitment and uh, intensity was still good last night. Took a charge on a near seven footer in, in Jackson Hayes, uh, sacrificing the body on that play. Um, yeah, he got bowled yeah. over too. Yeah, and I mean, he, he took took that one uh, right in the chest, and he also he also went down uh, on a scary scary play in the fourth on a drive. Uh, fortunately, re- returned to the action. Happy to see um, him come back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, I, I mean, I still. I still think uh, this is a young player who's, who's going to have some growing pains. Uh, and if, if I'm Doc Rivers, I think it makes sense to continue giving him opportunities um, and, and see what he's got. Uh, George Niang and um, Seth Curry seem to be kind of carbon copies of each other, just shot making from the outside um, and it just, shooters on this team have been something people have clamored for for so long a shame that Ben Simmons isn't on the team to benefit from you know being surrounded by these shooters um Matisse Thibel uh Seth Curry George Niang all role players who played their roles really well uh if the Sixers can get continue to get more of that I think my point with the Isaiah Joe thing is that you have the opportunity with the uh, dearth in the backcourt with, um, you know, Shake Milton and, and Ben Simmons being out. There was just opportunity there that could be seized. George Niang, um, Seth Curry, and Matisse Thibel seized whatever opportunity was there for them uh, in their roles. Um, you would have liked to see Matisse, you know, come out with this fabulous three-point shot or, or something that, you know, we have, you know, kind of envisioned and hoped for from him. But like you said, it's, it's so much success and great things that happened in the game. It's no need to nitpick or, you know, overreact uh, to, to things last night. Um, I want to take a time out here, but when we come back, I want to hear from you on your season prediction. I don't think we got that from you. I'm curious if what happened last night changed that at all. You're so level-headed. I'm going to imagine it didn't, but I'm going to uh, want to hear from you after we take this time out, but where you think the Sixers will finish this year. Ready to make a move? A Wilmington University education can take you where you want to go. WilmU works online or in person. Learn more at wilmu.edu. You know what, Noah? Uh, In the content room, and uh, they were preparing for Sixers pregame live, and Mark Jackson and Jim Lynham and Amy Fadul were all throwing out their season predictions. And... Jim Lynham and Amy were going for the moon. They were going for the 60s. They were going, you know, like, you know, uh, they were both saying that the team would do really well. Uh, Mark was a little bit more, you know, four, five C type of attitude, six C possibly, but not lower than that. Um, I think Ben, ben and I on the podcast had – been in that of that same ilk that maybe from you know somewhere from three to six or or you know maybe four or five or six maybe something like that was where they'll finish uh how many wins where, where do you think those wins get them in the in the end of uh end of things this season the regular season how do you see things playing out with the team that's here now 
Um, of course, the Simmons trade could change that considerably, but what, what, what are your expectations coming into the season for this team? Yeah, I think my gut feel is three through six is most likely. I'm really reluctant to make prediction, predictions just given, given Simmons and, and how much we don't know there. Sure. And yeah, you're, you're, you're having to do a lot of projections that you wouldn't normally have to. Like, okay, is he going to get traded? When's he going to get traded, et cetera? Uh, you know, who, who would be the return in that trade? Um, but yeah, if, you, if you're going to put me on the spot, I, I think I'm going back and forth between like the third and fourth seed in the East. Mm. Uh, to me, it's actually difficult to see the Sixers finishing much worse than that, as long as Joel Embiid is healthy. Uh, like he just dominates so casually and the, the dominance is on both ends of the floor and so complete and he makes things so much easier for his teammates. And uh, as you, as you hit on uh, in the last segment, the Sixers do have a lot of good role players who know their jobs. Tobias Harris uh, is not an all-star, but he's one of the better non-all-stars in the league. Um, And, you know, there's reason for optimism with some of these young pieces uh, such as Maxi as well. So yeah, I'm toggling between that three and four, uh, I'll go bold. I'll go bold and say they finished with the three seed. Uh, I think Milwaukee and Brooklyn, it's clear that they're the, the, the favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference, and it would take something uh, really tremendous and surprising for the Sixers to supplant those teams. But uh, yeah, without really knowing still what, what's going to happen as far as the Simmons resolution uh, and just weighing all the potential outcomes, we'll say uh, it's a pretty good outcome for the Sixers that despite uh, one of the more bizarre dramas in recent NBA history, they get the third seed in, in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I'll go on the record with that one. You mentioned Joel's dominance and how much that factors into them possibly getting that three seed and how much better he is than the opponents, uh, particularly on both ends of the floor. And I'd asked this question to you before when we had Paul Hudrick on the podcast, but he's going to probably miss about 20 games at least. Are you concerned about what the Sixers team would look like when he's not on the floor with that dominance on both ends, particularly guarding the rim? Yeah. You know, I'd say the best case scenario for the Sixers is maybe he only misses 10 or 15, but yeah, if it is 20, I think Andre Drummond, uh, if we know anything about him, it's that he can be a a capable starting center. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clearly, he's a, he's a flawed player, and I think even in his early days as a sixer, you've seen there are, there are probably going to be some frustrating moments where he doesn't know his limits, and he, he tries to do too much as a passer, and he's trying to lead one-man fast breaks, and oftentimes <laughs> those sort of adventures like aren't going to end well for the Sixers, and I think especially... I just have a, a, envision the whole thing in my head, and it just, that, that's pretty funny. Um, thinking about that play he made that was on Shaq and the fool with the Cavs mm. last season and things like that. But I great point. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And like he, he shows up on those kind of low light reels because he just takes a lot of chances and he really believes in himself. And uh, I think like, especially in the postseason, some of that's probably a little bit more concerning. Obviously it's never great to like have a rotation player who's a subpar free throw shooter, like Andre Drummond as well. Uh, but as, as far as like, let's say Embiid doesn't play 20 games and Drummond starts those games, like no reason 
in my mind, this can't be at least uh, slightly above 500, 500-ish team in those games. Uh, of course, you're going to need Tobias Harris to step up. Uh, you're you're going to need Seth Curry to be efficient and, and run the offense. Uh, ideally, Tyrese Maxey uh, continues looking comfortable and confident as the first unit point guard. So, of course, things need to go well for the Sixers to fare okay without Embiid. But uh, I see no reason why things would be disastrous uh, without Joel Embiid this, se- this season. Uh, just given Andre Drummond, uh, he can start and, and win games for, for NBA teams, for sure. This is just something for me because when Embiid's not in there, say Drummond's in the starting lineup, do you think Niang will be the five? Like, is that what they're, they're – what do you think they'll do there? You mean like Niang would, would slide into the starting lineup? Well, the, no, no, no. Yeah, what I'm saying is if, if, if Drummond's in the starting lineup, if Joel's out, Drummond's in the starting lineup, what do you think they'll do at the five? Behind him. Yeah. Based on the preseason, I would say Niang would probably get the majority. Like the small ball five. Minutes. Um, yeah, I believe in the Embiidless preseason minutes, that was the main way Doc Rivers went about it. And then we also did see some of Paul Reed, uh, who, of course, is an intriguing, uh, chaotic. Uh, ready to player. go. He is ready yeah. at everything. It's ready to go. Yeah, you're not going to uh, be confused about whether he's on the floor uh, every second. You're going to be aware of his presence. Uh, so, yeah, I think the Sixers seem to like the idea of Niang as a, as a stretch five and a guy who can create challenging matchups for the opposition and at least, in theory, hold his own defensively. So, uh, yeah, that would be my expectation as things stand. Uh, and you'd imagine Paul Reed would also get the occasional – crack at some minutes uh, in those situations too. A lot to like from that Sixers win. Uh, this is really the calm uh, between the storms, so to speak, because we got the opener and the Brooklyn Nets on Friday. So enjoy this victory Thursday for all it's worth because uh, it will be a national TV audience and a lot of hoopla uh, going into that opener at home against the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe we'll see Ben Simmons on the floor, even on the bench would be a revelation um hopefully we will hear him speak at some point because we would love to hear his side of things um and i hope he's not dealing with uh you know i i, I look at just how things have, have you know transpired I, like i hope he's not dealing with too much mental stuff that's causing him you know not to speak or to be able to deal with this head on i know there's not a lot of sympathy or empathy for ben in this town right now but you're not trying to see this guy like implode in any way, shape or form. We're just talking about basketball. The team and the fans want him to honor the contract. Um, They're seeking trade partners for him. You know, I, I, we just want to, you know, kind of get past this thing and him speaking will help a lot of people, you know, um, process this and bring some closure to it, but we'll see how that uh, comes together here in the next couple of days. Noah, uh, we have, uh, Love your work on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. Uh, you have a story up there now on uh, the observations from last night. Uh, what, what are you working on? Anything in particular? I know it's a day off for the team, but anything you're, you're working on in between games here? Yeah, just just a little little bit. Uh, you, you touched on it earlier in, in Bede. Uh, had, had a good story to the reporters down there in New Orleans about the team dinners and, and just learning more about his teammates. So, uh, I'll just touch touch a little there on how the Sixers do seem to be 
embracing the collective side of things uh, in light of this Simmons drama and um, kind of coalescing around the idea of the players uh, that are here genuinely really want to be here uh, and are, are excited about playing with each other. Uh, so yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a story um, on that today. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll be monitoring any developments of note with Ben Simmons. Uh, his suspension is technically over. Uh, I would be surprised if he plays tomorrow night, but uh, Doc Rivers said like every day you're surprised here. So maybe he will play against the Brooklyn Nets uh, and that would be awfully dramatic. Uh, but whether or not Ben Simmons plays, yeah, I'll be be down there at Wells Fargo Center Friday night and um, be on top of that, that Sixers home opener. He is Noah Levick, our esteemed NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com Sixers writer for Ben Barry, our producer extraordinaire. I'm Danny Pomels. Thanks for listening. Sixers Talk brought to you by Wilmington University. Will New Works. We'll see you next time.